Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, the big story this week, as it has been the last, well, week and a half now, is and was Hurricane Laura. I cannot believe how quickly that whole thing escalated. It just went from zero to 60 overnight, it feels like. Oh, and you're not kidding. I mean, we woke up to a tropical storm coming off of Cuba to a cat one and then a cat two and then a cat four in the span of, you know, less than what, 24 hours. Yeah. And basically a cat five, let's be real. And I know everybody really wanted that rating. Didn't quite make it, but what was it like six or seven miles per hour wind speed under a cat five. Mm -hmm. So yep, really doesn't make that much of a difference. So (laughs) Laura is one for the books for sure. Exactly. There's no doubt about it. Now the official, you know, Strength rating, the official measurements are still technically under review, but we do have the prelim data from the National Hurricane Center. Um, and roughly, it made landfall Thursday night, central time, just about midnight, uh, mm-hmm. over southwestern Louisiana near the town of Cameron. Um, the official one is still not necessarily, like I said, we don't necessarily have the exact location of where the eye made official landfall but at landfall maximum sustained winds of 150 miles an hour movement and i think this is the key we'll talk about this later north northwest at 15 miles an hour so she was a fast moving storm central uh central pressure was down to 938 millibars so a very strong hurricane not the strongest but still a very very strong hurricane very, very strong and already spawning tornadoes and tornado right. warnings before even making landfall, which is crazy. And then after landfall, the amount of tornado warnings I was seeing on radar was crazy. Right. It was just one after the other after the other. And that is also something else we will talk about here as we get into the show, because we're looking at radar images that might not have been what we thought they were. And we'll talk about that, too. But Laura comes ashore, you know, Thursday, Wednesday night, Thursday, and it's battering the Texas coastline, the Louisiana coastline, and watching, you know, the coverage from any outlet was incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, multiple TV networks were at the same casinos and hotels, and listening to the sound that this thing was making as it was rattling the building and then moving through, it was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So intense and so scary. And some of the video coming out of Lake Charles and stuff like that, it's, I, the meteorologists who go out and get in the middle of a cat four slash cat five hurricane are just crazy and awesome all at the same time. (laughs) But I think it's important. Like, I think people need to see what this actually does. You know what I mean? I think some people, especially who don't live in areas that get hit by hurricanes, you need to see like what kind of power 
and force a hurricane has and not just hear about it. You know what I mean? It's right. like you need to be in it to like grasp the gravity of the situation. You do. And, you know, and I will say this is, you know, something that's worked in the weather field on the TV side. You don't want to put your crews in areas where they could be potentially exposed to something bad. Now, right. Lake Charles is, you know, a long ways away from the coastline. It's not something that's, you know, right on the shore. And, of course, we've we've also seen that. But it's well inland. It's, you know, I want to say almost 40 miles inland. So you get a little bit of time, hopefully, okay, storm might weaken a little bit. That didn't happen with this. And you go back, you look at, you know, the strength of the storm. It's tied uh, in terms of wind speed for the most powerful hurricane to hit the state of Louisiana with the last island hurricane in 1856. Betsy was the next strongest wind speed wise at 130. So, I mean, that 20 miles an hour is a big deal. People ask, well, what about Katrina? Katrina came ashore at 125 miles an hour. So you're like, okay, you know, but let's talk about central pressure because that's kind of how we, you know, measure the true strength of a hurricane, right? Laura comes in as the fourth strongest hurricane to hit the coast of Louisiana, 938 millibars. And this is where Katrina kind of tops the list. Katrina bottomed out at 920 millibars. Okay. Wow. Katrina was was a nuclear bomb. Now I don't know what she was at landfall. I can go back and maybe look and try and find that. Um, but you go back and you're like, okay, 920. That is a big deal. And Katrina came ashore in 2005 because we were talking about uh, the 15th year anniversary, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But uh, let's go see if I can find where she came ashore. How crazy, though, that Katrina was stronger than Laura. Right. But Laura had wind speeds 25, 30 plus miles per hour higher. Right. Than Katrina. You know, it, it, it's it's one of those things. And, you know, so, okay, so this is where I just happened to pull up. Just I went back and found it. So according to this, and this is the midnight positioning of Hurricane Katrina when uh, this was midnight central daylight time, Monday, August 29th, 2005. And this is where we're all legitimately freaking out because we know, you know, this is, this is the big deal where Katrina is 90 miles South Southwest of the mouth of the Mississippi river. Here were her storm, you know, breakdown. Okay. Ready for this. Mm-hmm. Maximum sustained winds 160 miles an hour. Minimal Whoa. minimum central pressure 908 millibars. Oh my gosh! So I mean, yeah, she weakened a little bit, but that don't mean nothing because you know. And again, at landfall, maximum sustained winds 125, central pressure 927. But you know that was 10 hours later. Let's back it up and look at 6 a.m. 6 a.m., the same thing. You know, you're looking at it. It's winds are 145. And so, you know, the the saving grace with Katrina was she didn't come in at her strongest, which is something mm-hmm. that we've seen recently with Michael and now we saw with Laura where they're reaching their peak intensity as they're coming ashore. But even, you know, she started to weaken 145 miles an hour. Central pressure now bumped up to 918 millibars. I know that for a while I had traded some emails and texts with friends saying, could we actually see the first sub 900 hurricane? In terms of. That, yeah. 
because that would be insane. I don't be. even know. <laughs> it would be. I mean, that and that's where you're talking like a cat six, you know, right? The, un, <laughs> the unofficial, the unofficial hurricane scale, which apparently does exist, and we have talked about that on that show, but. You know, it's like the enhanced Vegeta scale. Do we ever, yeah. you know, throw in an F6, which, again, not necessarily truthfully exists, but we know that rating does exist somewhere. So, Well, I mean, I think with all of these different scales, Richter, Fujita, everything, like, there is the option to adjust it. Right. But it's just you can't adjust it to something that hasn't happened ever. Because right. it hasn't happened. But if it did, then yeah, I really think that it would all be, it would be adjusted and a cat six would be added or an EF six would be added and that kind of thing. So I think there's always potential. It's just hasn't gotten there yet. And, you know, I bet if the gulf was a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. that there would be that potential because there would be more warm water for a right. hurricane to be over for a little bit longer before coming ashore, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's true, but that's just kind of my thought, is if there was more land area or more water area, then maybe they would get that potential to get bigger. Right. And, you know, we look back at what we saw with the radar. We look back at what we saw with, you know, flood gauges. And let's talk about that for a minute, because I know the big story was, of course, wind is you know is a great story however yeah always the story with hurricanes is rain flooding and storm surge Mm -hmm. and the forecast coming out of the national hurricane center for storm surge was quite impressive you know could be looking at 20 feet of storm surge we could be looking at 15 feet of storm surge up into lake charles and places well north of the storm and so you know we were kind of all weary about that Luckily, and again, I think there are many theories to why it might not necessarily have actually happened, but the amount of storm surge was on the relatively low side. So it could be, you know, again, there's a theory of, well, the storm was a fast mover, 15 miles an hour forward movement. Yeah, that can that can definitely do that. Um, You know, I would have to get back into a lab and, you know, bust out the hairdryer and the bowl of water to try and replicate you know does forward movement have something to do with constant speed or you know pushing water and again i am not a hurricane scientist by any stretch of the imagination i just play one on this podcast but (laughs) with that said you know you can do these type of experiments and this is what the guys the national hurricane center do very very well but the forecast for storm surge missed I will tell you this right now. I'm okay if that forecast misses. Right. I agree. Because I'm not going to worry necessarily about flooding. So it could be forward movement. Uh, the other thing that, you know, this was kind of the first thought that popped into my mind. There's an awful lot of marshland down there right now. And that's that's the topography of it. That's the way it's always been. Marshland has this really awesome ability to hold a lot of water. And, you know, maybe that's what it could have just soaked up a lot of it. Yeah. So maybe that's what it was. So I guess we have to go out and, you know, kind of wait to see. I know there are very few tidal gauges in the area where Laura came ashore. Uh, That was one thing that they were discussing a lot on the Weather Channel and a lot on uh, some of the other networks. So maybe, you know, things did happen. I know that 
The houses that were in Cameron, a lot of them sustained heavy amounts of damage, even though they had been prepared for the storm. They were built up on stilts. You do everything you can to mitigate the hurricane risk. And this area has been hit before. And, you know, you, you're like, okay, well, let's just keep rebuilding. We'll rebuild and we rebuild again. But, man, 150-mile-an-hour winds slashing into your house ain't nothing to shake a stick at, Bonnie. Right. Well, and especially on stilts, then you would think it would be a little wobbly as far as getting hit like that. And, you know, the amount of wind damage coming out of that whole area is when I was looking at it, I was like, this is what more looked like after each EF5 that has hit it. And I'm like, that's that's what's happened here. So even though maybe the flooding didn't pan out exactly according to forecast, any amount of flooding, though, is not good, even if it was a smaller area than they predicted or it didn't go as far inland as they thought it would. Still devastating to those people that it did affect. But the wind damage was widespread, very far inland. I mean, we saw the Lake Charles radar done, gone. Okay. And, I mean, that is devastating. Wind is devastating. And I know that OG&E, which is our electric company, sent 50 trucks, I think, down there before Laura even made landfall. Right. To help once it was all clear to move into the area. So, I mean, states around were, like, preparing to come in and help. So hopefully things get back up and running quickly. But I'm glad there wasn't as much flooding because that hinders the recovery process. Right. Having to wait for floodwaters to recede before you can get into that area can take days. It, it really can. And, you know, you mentioned the wind, and that was the big story. You know, you look at the wind reports. You look at official observations before instruments were broken. Uh, there was a 137-mile-an-hour wind gust recorded in Lake Charles via a Davis weather station. So, by the way, if I don't know if there's any better, you know, endorsement for using a Davis weather station or Davis okay. weather system, one of the ones that I prefer. Uh, 137 miles an hour ain't too bad. So sustained winds, 102 miles an hour. That's constant. (laughs) So yeah, if you have not seen what happened to the uh, Lake Charles Doppler radar, go to the weather podcast. Just scroll down. You'll see photos um, because we retweeted and shared it. Uh, The radar is gone. The radar was blown apart. Yeah. Blown off. It's it's it went bye bye. (laughs) With that said, you know, the wind was pretty impressive. And again, for an incoming hurricane, the Lake Charles radar was in perfect position. Yeah. 40 miles due south or due north of of where it came ashore. So that thing was in prime condition to see it. And then... Well, and I think there was a radar north of that one, too, that's gone. Like, when I go to radar scope, I think there's two radars there are, that correct. have been down. Right. Shreveport's is down as well. Yeah. So... Uh, and I think Shreveport was down for a while because I think they were in the middle of doing their uh, dual pool upgrade, but I could be wrong. So I'd have to go back and look at um, Radar Outlook and see. Um, or, sorry, if not, it's ra- just down for that or if it's down yeah, for damage. Yeah, I don't want to say yeah, not, or radar, both now. Yeah, not Radar <laughs> Outlook, but um, Radar Ops. So uh, out of Norman, Oklahoma, based out of the airport. But... <laughs> It was impressive. I mean, it was absolutely impressive. And I know that there was some talk in, you know, network circles and they made the mention on TV, especially when the eye wall was coming through. Uh, 
Lake Charles, they're like, well, you know, I don't understand. The radar says that we're in, you know, this, this, you know, the donut hole, right? In the middle of the storm. I don't understand why it's not clear or why it's not calm. Well, you're at this point, you're looking at the Houston radar image. And so the Houston radar image is on the edge of its actual, you know, um, range. And so it's some of the geography of meteorology, right? And the earth, you have this flat plane. It's a radar beam. It's a half a degree. It shoots a straight line. As you get further away from the radar, the earth starts to fall away. We live on mm-hmm. a round planet. For those flat earthers, do not at me. We live on a round planet. So <laughs> you can get distorted radar images. You see this a lot, uh, especially like when you're looking at tornadoes or thunderstorms in between radar sites during the summer. Uh, you start to see it sometimes also during the winter when you're trying to track large cells. So the images are quite a ways away. That has the tendency to kind of bend and distort where it actually is. Now, we do our best with mapping technology and everything to actually overlay it to where the correct position is. However, when you're, you know, on the edge of your radar zone, that image can be distorted. So that's probably why it felt, you know, the guys like from the Weather Channel were like, well, I don't understand. Again, you're in the middle of a hurricane. You're not necessarily thinking about, oh, my gosh, the geometry of the earth and how this works. That's probably why it looked like the radar was saying you were in the clear and yet you were still very much in the eastern eye wall. But the deal is though, just because it's it's off by a few blocks or a few streets or a few miles, regardless, the eye is still in right. your vicinity, whether right. it's over the top of your house or not. Like the fact that people get so crazy about those things is mind blowing to me. Like we can't have a radar on every corner so you can get the exact picture. Like the, you know, like right. people are just so picky and so crazy. The point is you got hit by a cat for four. Fa right. fa four. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a four for five. You know. Four for five. It's, it sounds like a deal at Wendy's. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> or five dollar foot long at Subway, which you now available on the app. But <laughs> we sit there and you, you look at it and yeah, okay, I get it. It's it it's maybe a mile or two difference, right? But if you're in the center of the storm, Bonnie, it should be calm. That's what we know happens in the eye, you know, in the eye of a hurricane. It is relatively calm. We saw that especially with Michael and all those famous pictures we saw coming out of Grand Bahama, right? Where yeah. everybody's like, oh my gosh, we're in the eye. And, you know, you look around and you see the stadium effect. And, you know, you have all the birds that have been trapped up and have somehow made it to the calmness of, of the eye. And they're flying around. So, you know, I understand why they were like, uh, this makes no sense. But again, it was a difference of maybe five or six miles. And, right. you know, it, it honestly comes down to a mapping issue. There's no way to fix it. There's no way to predict it. It just happened to be that's where they were. So, you know, I'm glad all the TV crews, all those guys were safe. Obviously, Laura, it was a deadly storm. I want to say we're up to now almost 10 deaths, if not more attributed to Laura. Um, a couple of them were people outside trying to, you know, take shelter or do something in the course of a storm and, you know, trees coming down and hitting houses and cars. So that's, that's unfortunately one of the reasons why we say if they give you evacuation orders, you need to go. I understand you want to stay and protect your house and your livelihood. I I get that. However, you know, a cat four is coming. You should probably leave. Yes. And you know, I think that's the reason the death 
count is so low. I mean, 10, one, too many, of course, but the evacuation in time and the people who heeded that warning, I think is what saves so many lives. And I mean, I saw some scary stuff related to the evacuation. There was authorities in Louisiana telling people, if you stay, be prepared to not be rescued or have any assistance for days because we have to wait till it's safe to get into your area. And if you stay to write down a bunch of like important information, like social next of kin, date of birth, your name, blah, blah, blah on a paper and put it in a plastic bag and put it in your pocket. Like how scary is that? Right. And again, they're doing that because if they do recover your body because of what we're going through and limited resources, they're not necessarily going to be able to identify who you are in a timely fashion. I know that sounds horrible, but, you know, if you can help the coroner identify yourself quickly, that will at least bring some comfort maybe to your family. But then you start asking the questions, well, why was he so stupid that he didn't leave? Or why was she right. so stupid? So, and again, let's let's be real. It's probably just the men that do that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I again, I get why, why you want to stay, why try and protect your home. I get that. But. You know, I, I think for all in all, Laura came ashore as a cat four. She did a lot of damage. I believe she probably will be retired off the uh, World Meteorological Organization list going forward. But Laura, for what she was, could have been a whole heck of a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the flooding could have been, you know, right up there with the flooding that Katrina caused. Yep. So let's count our blessings that at least that part didn't come to fruition because like I said a little bit ago, like that would have made the recovery process even worse because rescuers, utility workers, all of that could not get into the area even right now today on Sunday because they'd be waiting for floodwaters to go down. So that not being as big of a deal as it was thought to be really does make things a little bit better, not to sound insensitive, but it does. Right. And, you know, I, and I, I don't think it is being insensitive at all. I think it's just, you know, it's, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. We try and we try and predict storms to a certain strength. We try and predict storms to a certain outcome. Sometimes they happen. Sometimes they don't. It's weather. Things constantly change. We know this. If every but wouldn't you rather prepare for that kind of surge and it not absolutely. happen? Oh, and, and, and not prepare and then boom, you know? Like, 100%. So. 100 percent better but and again but that also goes for any type of storm mm-hmm. right if you know you have a you know chance on the planes for a tornadic outbreak and there's a pds warning or pds watch issued you know take a minute or two it's why we preach on the show to be a you know always be weather ready there's a reason why we are wrn ambassadors because we're trying to help spread the word of the importance of people being able to be weather ready Keep it top of mind, have a plan, know how to execute the plan, know what the outcome is going to be if you do execute the plan. So, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd much rather 100% prepare for massive storm surge and not happen and count my lucky stars versus mm-hmm. not prepare and then have 20 feet of water inundating my property. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, that's true for any storm event. So, yep. And it it could have easily happened. And I think what you said about it being the type of land that it is and probably absorbed some of that water so it didn't 
flood as bad is probably part of it and forward motion. There's a lot of things, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of those answers in the coming weeks as more investigation and research is done. But yeah, definitely better to be prepared for something catastrophic and it not be quite as bad as predicted than the reverse. Right. So, Well, let's talk about the forecast accuracy because that's another story that's coming out this week. And again, we got to give major props, major props to the National Hurricane Center in Miami because these guys were awesome. Nailed it. The three-day forecast cone. And again, three days. Okay, that's quite a lot of time in the weather world. Mm-hmm. Bonnie, the track was off by a mile. That is crazy. It is nuts. And you look at the accuracy of hurricane forecasting, and we have talked a lot about that on this show. How, I mean, a ridge of high pressure can kind of build in. Uh, an area of low pressure can kind of push other things away. And your forecast cone shifts you know, 300 miles, which it has done, and I guarantee will do before. But the conditions in the Gulf were very stable. They were very, you know, I want to say they were pretty much perfect for mm-hmm. hurricane explosive gross, what we were. But three days to nail a forecast path. And this thing never changed. I mean, you no. can go back and, you know, I'm watching it right now. You can pull up the archives of the advisories and you click on Hurricane Laura. You go up to the graphics archive and you look at the cone uh, three day with a line and you just watch this all the way through. And I mean, this thing was so solid. It shifted a little bit here and there as it went through the Lesser Antilles through Puerto Rico. But once it kind of hit Puerto Rico, that thing kind of got locked in and this mm-hmm. thing didn't change. And once she moved off of the coast of Cuba as a tropical storm, boom, hurricane, hurricane, three days out, boom, 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 major hurricane, major. It didn't shift. And it's just like, and obviously everything is, you know, always changing. Everything's always going. Things are happening. But man, it was impressive. I am not going to lie. And you can click and jump forward to find out where you want it to look like. And so I'm like, all right, let's go through here. So that's where we are Sunday. So, all right, Tuesday at 2 a.m. Central time, I believe, is this East Coast time. Eastern, so uh, so late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, okay? The initial forecast track has it coming ashore pretty close to where it is right now. So that's Tuesday, so we're looking at three days. And you just step this thing. It shifts a little bit to the west out on two or three hours later. Stays there, stays there, stays there, stays there. A little bit more west, but still within the correct path. Shifts a little bit back east. Stays there, stays there, same line, same line, same line, same line. And I mean, this thing, it came ashore. And again, it obviously the initial track had moved a little bit more eastward as we got within that 24-hour window. But still, the fact that from day three, it wobbled a little bit, but it missed by a mile. Yeah, which is so incredibly mind-blowing like i'm just so impressed so when people are in the path and these are the evacuation areas and these are the areas that need to be prepared let's go ahead and listen because the national hurricane center knows what they're talking about yep and it's you know it's (laughs) it's impressive it is really Mm -hmm. impressive and i know that we have as a country invested a lot into weather modeling upgrading our computer infrastructure but man this thing was 
was humming and she knew that and we knew that she was going to drop a lot of rain bring a lot of wind gonna get some storm surge but uh she was one for the record books there's no doubt about it and i know that a lot of entities got a lot of data on hurricanes and i cannot wait to see what happens when they start issuing you know the reports and stuff I know that OU sent their mobile Dopplers. I know Texas Tech mm-hmm. had teams out doing uh, storm surveys and you know recording instrumentation and stuff like that. So uh, I'm really excited to see what happens and what comes out of the research. Yeah, me too. I mean, we're going to learn a lot. And the amount of area of the country that Laura affected is crazy because I know Arkansas got rain and tornadoes. We got some storms spawned off of Laura once it was up near Arkansas. And then I I honestly don't know what happened as it went East. I think it affected Kentucky and that kind of thing. Like it, it, she just kept going. Well, it's so it's funny because we had, you know, talked about, well, she could, you know, reemerge out in the Atlantic and, you know, keep going. Well, the official last, you know, update came this morning on Laura, but she's not really doing much. And for all intents and purposes, she's dead. So, yeah, you know, we'll go back and we'll look. And Laura's last official um, forecast track was actually yesterday, Saturday the 29th at 5 a.m. Eastern. And it's basically saying she's post-tropical cyclone. And she's just going to move off to the east near 28 miles an hour. And it's expected to accelerate further today. Maximum sustained winds are 25 miles an hour near higher gusts and nothing. So by Monday, system should be absorbed into a stronger low moving through the uh, Atlantic Canada. So she's done. But even though she's done, hurricane season is not. And we are coming up on the peak of it. And if you look at the Gulf of Mexico right now, uh, Gulf's quiet. The Atlantic, however, is a different story. We have four uh, areas that they are watching. The first immediate one is disturbance number two. It's currently off of the Florida Georgia coastline. Baby, you a song? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> for all you country music fans out there, you'll understand that joke. But oh my god! <laughs> a- area number two: the formation chance through forty-eight hours is medium, sixty percent. Formation chance through day number five: high, seventy percent. So this would become tropical event Nana, which. Based on the forecast track, I'm really bummed, so I'm kind of hoping the area down to the Lesser Antilles forms first, uh, because I want that to be... Gets the name first. Yeah, because I want to get the name first. By the way, that is confusing a lot of people. How did Marco make landfall before Laura did? He formed closer. Right. Exactly. And Can we all take a minute and remember Marco, who... Made little impact on hurricane history. <laughs> yes. Marco will, Marco will return to the list in seven years. Laura, yes. I don't think so. Uh, you will be missed, Marco. Yes. Baby hurricane Marco. Yeah. But we have this area that we are watching that is off the Florida, Georgia coastline. And this thing is going to move uh, parallel to the southeastern coast and then eventually out into the open sea. Actually, it's going to probably be entrained in the area uh, that also picked up what was left of Laura. So that could be interesting. The other area they're looking is number one. This thing looks pretty well organized so far. Tropical depression likely to form the next day or two while the system moves westward at 15 miles an hour across the central Caribbean coast 
interest in Jamaica, Honduras, Belize, Guatemala, and the Yucatan should monitor the progress of this disturbance. So this one has a 70% chance uh, uh, chance of formation over the next two days, and through five days, 80%. So this one is initially just forecast to move to the west. Does this cross the Yucatan, re-enter the Gulf, and make that northerly swing? Yeah, we'll see. I have not seen any spaghetti charts, so I'm not going to say. But then there are some other areas out in the uh, Atlantic that are coming off of Africa as well, where they have pretty decent chances of forming. So we got to watch that. The eastern. Well, and I think yeah. that the longer there's not something in the Gulf, the more chances that something that gets over the Gulf will form right. and get strong. Right. I have not looked at sea surface temperatures and you know deeper water temperatures in the Gulf, but I know that Laura churned up some warmer water. And some cooler water as well, but mm -hmm. uh, that thing has a chance to probably reprime itself very quickly. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that's good for the hurricane right. enthusiasts. That's bad for those who are like, we don't want to be battered anymore, which, of course, nobody wants no. to get hit by a hurricane. But that's what it needs is warm water. So the longer the Gulf is calm and can warm up at the surface again the more chances of it being a good fuel source for anything that gets out over it. Yep. Uh, out in the Pacific, the Central Pacific near Hawaii, there's one area that they're watching. It's a disorganized area of showers. Moving to the west, it's not going to affect anything. 10% chance it forms through five days. However, back closer to home in the Eastern Pacific, Tropical Depression is Zell, uh, is just out there just kind of doing her thing. She's slowly moving to the north. Uh, she will probably impact the Baja Peninsula um, if she stays together, which does not look likely, uh, over the next couple of days. And then there's another area that they're looking at that's 10 to 20%. Uh, and this thing is going to move uh, to the north-northwest. So, yeah, nothing really in the Central Pacific. So, all eyes continue to be in the Atlantic. Uh, first of all, this huge wave that is just coming off the Lesser Antilles. And then we have the Florida-Georgia line. Let's play some country music. Uh, <laughs> low pressure system that is going to probably turn into uh, Nana if the one in uh, the Atlantic doesn't beat it to it. Well, we'll see. It's a race to it's a race to Nana. So if it is a race to Nana, and if it's not Nana, then it becomes Omar. So maybe Omar goes into Mexico. Nana just skirts the coast. But see, I want Nana to have an impact because I want to be able to say that Nana impacted people because Nanas <laughs> do impact people. Or imagine, like, Nana getting to retire. Yeah. That'd be bad. <laughs> that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Because what Nana doesn't want to retire, so. Right, that is true. Most Nanas are retired, though. True, true. Yes. Some are, some are. It just depends. If your Nana's not retired, please tweet to us at Weather Podcast <laughs> and tell us what your Nana does. Yeah. We want to know. Yes. Because I know my niece and nephew's Nana, who's my mother, not retired yet. So, she works in the healthcare field. See? See? Nanas are going strong. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, <laughs> Laura came and went. Uh, she was impressive. No doubt about it. Shout out to the hurricane hunters. These guys worked their butts off while also having to relocate bases. So, yeah. they had to leave Keesler in Louisiana and then fly to alternate bases while still flying missions. Why their family was having to deal with having to evacuate, move to new places. So special shout-out to the Hurricane Hunters, um, the Air Force Reserve 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, 
These guys are awesome. Thanks to those guys. The Noah Hurricane Hunters, again, great people. Uh, I love that Kermit and Miss Piggy were out flying in the storm. I love the fact that they've <laughs> named their <laughs> named their vehicles after the Muppets because that's just epic. But oh, we get to breathe a little bit before the next storm comes in. Yes, because this week was intense. So yeah, we get a little breather. Um, very interesting that Laura happened around the anniversary of Katrina. Yep. So that's just kind of made this whole week even more impactful. So. Uh, been a very interesting week for hurricanes for sure. So we'll see what the rest of the season has right. in store. And you mentioned Katrina again, 15 year anniversary. Um, and we can talk and we've talked about that on the show a lot, how that storm mm-hmm. has impacted a lot of people. There are still par- uh, portions of new Orleans that have never recovered and probably never will recover. And you know, this is what you get when you build a city underwater and people are like, what yep. do you mean you build a city underwater? The city of New Orleans sits below sea level. Yeah. Again, that portion of the Louisiana coast is marshland. And the areas that they built in, that's how they did it. They, you know, built dikes up and they have, you know, pumps that pump out seawater. And occasionally, guess what? You get flooding rain. And when you get flooding rain, you got to activate the pumps. Well, what Katrina did to New Orleans was something that we in the weather community knew was eventually going to happen where that city would flood and they'd have to deal with a lot of things. But man, Katrina was one for the record books. It's for my mind, how all storms will be measured going forward. Yep. So we shall see what happens, but, but keep in mind, the reason that Katrina was as impactful as it was is the structures in place in Louisiana failed. No, hands down, hands down. Pumps failed. Levees failed. The systems that, you know, we knew. And again, I I don't want to sound like the weather community was, you know, super smart about this. But we knew that once a major hurricane hit New Orleans, this is what would happen. Yeah. Because we knew that the aging infrastructure was not up to date. And yes, the Army Corps of Engineers had put a lot of work in to get that stuff up to great, you know, up to uh, up to par. They retrofitted a lot of stuff. But we still knew that because of the majority of the city remains in a floodplain under sea level, all it took was one breach and your entire system goes offline. Right. Because you can only do so much for something that is already below sea level right. before a storm even comes. And if your levees and pumps and everything have not been tested against a major hurricane right. yet, you really don't know how they're going to hold up yep. when something like that happens. So building them as strong as they could based on the past information that we all had prior to Katrina is really the best you can do. And I'm quite confident now that things are different and that they have built them differently and reinforced them in different ways. I'm sure, you know, I, I, I honestly don't a hundred percent know, but I would think that they made adjustments since Katrina. Yeah. Then there have been significant upgrades made, but again, no system is perfect. No, right. you know, there's always going to be something that's going to be a fail safe that, fails i mean there's that's just as an engineer you have to you know you account for that somehow and again the city of new orleans is beautiful it's right on the mississippi river it's right on the gulf of mexico you're surrounded by water and water always flows to the lowest point and like it says all it takes is one thing and it's done and you know lake charles could backflow into louisiana um the mississippi river could breach 
could get a massive amount of storm surge that overrides the top of the levees. Any little thing can, you know, become that that kind of the weakest link in your armor. And man, all it takes is one thing. And we saw that with Katrina, but again, we knew it was going to happen. Did we think it was going to be that bad? Probably not. But well, and keep in mind that was 15 years ago, so oh, radars yeah. weren't as good as they are now. Yep. Forecasting has come a long way in 15 years. So. Right. I mean, think about all of that, that the the data, the systems, the way forecasts were made, all of that is, is antiquated now because it's all changed and we know more and understand more and have better technology now. So honestly, big storms like that are beneficial in that way because they do push us to upgrade technology yep. and do more research and get better at forecasting. So in a way, Katrina has benefited the weather community. Oh, and no doubt about it. I really wish that, and this was several years ago, there's a meteorologist who now works in Little Rock. His name is Jeff Baskins. He's a fantastic follow on Twitter, by the way. He was oh, Baskin, the, huh? Yeah. So Jeff Baskins was the, yeah, no, no related to Carol. <laughs> no related to Tiger King. That's actually funny. I should reach out to him and be like, yeah, so this is your sister. I'm sure he's heard the joke a million times, but I know it's not. With that said, with that said, anyways, he was a meteorologist working for a TV station in Louisiana 15 years ago. And he had then moved to Portland and was the chief meteorologist for our CBS affiliate. And he spoke to our uh, Oregon AMS group about the experiences of Katrina. And, you know, at the time, social media 15 years ago wasn't necessarily where it is now. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about it. And so we're now hearing this night about the weather warning that uh, NWS New Orleans put out and basically said anything that is outside will be killed. Cows will be literally stripped of their hide and houses will be blown over. And, you know, I mean, it, it was the doomsday scenario. Might go weeks or months without power, blah, blah, blah. The whole, you know, the warning that we've all now seen has become so infamous. But he was telling us about he lived on a in a four-story apartment building that overlooked the Mississippi River. Obviously, he was at work, so he was living at the station. He finally was able to get back into his apartment like several days later. And because of the storm surge and because of everything, water had seeped all the way up to the fourth level of his of his apartment. Wow. Like his the windows were blown out, and so there was, you know, residual rainwater and wind damage, but he goes Everything was soaked, and he goes, it was from the the base of the building all the way up. And he goes, wow. even four stories. I mean, 40 to 50 feet in the air, if not higher. Well, how did he even get up there? How is it? How, so, so the water had... It's rest- still structurally sound yeah, for so him was, to go yeah, into that so building? Yeah, it was still structurally sound, and, you know, the water had receded, but the water had soaked the walls all the way up. Oh. So, you know, mold, he said mold had already started to grow. It was still hot and humid, and so... He was able to go in and retrieve some clothes and some personal items. And he goes, everything else, we just kind of left. And, you know, it's a it's a sobering fact to listen to hear people that deal with us on a daily basis, right? You know, we see, you know, we think it is glamorous coverage as, you know, weather nerds. Like, ooh, this is so cool to see. But when you're the ones forecasting for your local area, it does impact you. And, yeah. you know, we see it with tornadoes. You see it. In Oklahoma, especially, I see it with windstorms and other types of events we have up here in the Northwest where, you know, it's it's a it's a national story and people tune in to see it. But, you know, we're the ones that are still living with it day after day after day. 
Right. Like it is impacting actual people and actual communities and actual lives. So you're right. Like us in Oklahoma sitting back watching Laura, we're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. But the people who are in Louisiana are going, oh, my God, this is this is my whole livelihood here that's just being destroyed. So that's something to keep in mind when we're all watching it from a distance. Yep. Well, again, Katrina 15 years ago uh, changed the face of weather forecasting, hurricane Mm -hmm. forecasting, all that for the better. So we can say that. All right. What do you guys have coming up weather-wise in Oklahoma City? We are about to hit a nice little cool down. Nice. Um, Low 90s, Monday, Tuesday. Then we're going to be in the 80s the rest of the week. Um, Some good storm chances coming this week. Hopefully the storm chances kind of diminish as we get into Labor Day weekend because, of course, we all know everyone likes to go out to lakes and whatever. So hopefully that's not affected. But I'm always down for a cool down. Lakes and and, uh, Olive Garden. That is the key to the weekends. (laughs) yeah we looked real classy going into olive garden last night i'm sure you guys did i'm sure you guys did uh out here in oregon it's really funny we're actually gearing up for what is going to be possibly a historic late season warm-up um nice models are indicating that we could be hitting triple digits maybe so we will see today uh we're in the upper 70s and then we stay that way tomorrow and then we start to ramp it up really high on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, officially the National Weather Service forecast is calling for temperatures in the mid to upper 90s. But like I said, the GFS is hitting up, maybe hitting triple digits. If that's the case, that would be our latest uh, late summer heat up in history. So could be a historic week out here in the Pacific Northwest in terms of temperatures, but nothing but sunny skies. So I might have to get out on the golf course if I can sneak away from work. Yeah. Yeah, bring your sunscreen, but yeah, definitely you should do that. And you're welcome for giving you our summer heat. You're welcome. Well, thank. Well, we don't have any humidity with it, so. Well, yeah, that might change. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> well, I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.